0: Welcome to the Ransomware Battleground, where we dive into the world of cybersecurity and hear firsthand from those that are deep in the fight to protect your data and peace of mind. Think your network is secure? Let's check out how secure you really are with this week's chat, Big Game Hunting. I'm joined today with Paul Fredrickson, cybersecurity consultant, most recently with Dell and Curtis Minder. CEO of Groupsense, delivering fully managed cyber intelligence and reconnaissance services at the forefront of breach activity, stolen data, intellectual property trafficking, executive targeting and brand fraud. I'm your host and moderator Sia Yesotornrat. Before we get started, I've got to give a shout out to our sponsor AirGap, the best defense against ransomware. With a zero trust isolation platform, AirGap confines ransomware to a single device. Put an end to threat propagation and protect your infrastructure in minutes, not months. And now, let's enter the battleground. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Ransomware Battleground. I am Sia Yasotornrat, and I'm joined today by our wonderful host, uh, co-host du jour, Mr. Paul Fredrickson.
1: Welcome. Hello, everyone.
0: And today I am very excited to welcome Mr. Curtis Minder. Curtis, welcome. Thanks for having me. See you. Oh, we're thrilled to have you because you know why? We're talking about all things big, cool, and awesome big game hunting. Dun, dun, dun. B-G-H. Uh, no, we're not, doing, we're not talking about big game hunting in the Texas sense. Okay, just to clarify for my Texas friends, we're talking about ransomware security focused. <laughs> um, guys. We know ransomware has evolved over the last few years and it's accelerated uh, over the course of the pandemic. There's just no two ways about it. It's become that much more lucrative. So can you guys in your, you know, infinite wisdom, just define what big game hunting is uh, from your perspective. So Paul, I'll kick you off just to warm Curtis up a little bit so he doesn't Uh, run away from us. All right.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, the, the attacks have evolved to go where the money is. And if you know the baseline security of some places is going up but not uniformly. So, you know, if I was a my favorite term of busy cyber criminal, if I'm gonna do a lot of work why not get more money for my work? You know, especially with the complexity of these things. So, I mean, it's to me, it's a natural evolution.
2: Yeah, and I, I've actually seen where <clears throat> not only are they, they picking bigger targets but they're being selective about those targets specifically looking for companies or, or enterprises that will have a big impact, but the cybersecurity maturity of that company might be lower. So for example, shipping and logistics. So you could take a shipping and logistics company who's who's got barges or large ships in the ocean, shut down those ships, you're gonna make a major impact, but their, their cybersecurity hygiene is typically lower than the, the the average enterprise. So they're an easier target.
1: Well, they're actually, I, I happen to know something about this because um, of my brother-in-law's father actually works in Denmark uh, related to Maersk and mm-hmm. the Clipper Group so he used to tell me about how he would negotiate with the pirates so they were used to pirates of a different sort you know who would actually take the entire boat
2: yeah and and now we're seeing the the cyber pirates uh, doing something similar on a regular oh game.
1: it's a lot easier you don't have to go sit out in the middle of the ocean and wait for somebody to drop you know with a with a flying helicopter to drop off giant bags of cash on the deck
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, you guys are giving me such a visual because when you're thinking about the modern day pirates, like I didn't even know that like cruise ships have this capability Mm -hmm. where they've got like this sound blaster that like goes after the pirates. And it's like, so like, it messes up with your head, I guess, because of the the frequency of the, uh, the sound. So, okay. Okay, so what is exactly going on then? Because, you know, if I were to use the analogy of a cruise ship that's about to get pirated and they use defense mechanisms, such as like a sound to stop it. I mean, how are these ransomware attacks for big game hunting? What tactics are they using? Um, let's go with Curtis. Yeah,
2: sorry, I'm just gonna jump in. Um, so the tactics actually, you know, a lot of people think that these tactics were extremely sophisticated. Uh, what we found is, typically, they're not. Uh, a lot of the attacks are, are well-known, well-published attacks. It's just that the, you know, the attack surface of these larger companies is broad, uh, and it only takes one open door or one, you know, one un- one unlocked window for the threat actors to get in. The other thing I'll say is that... Um, and by the way, I, I have a list of like the 10 things that that, that <laughs> we see over and over and over again. And some of them, you know, will make most security practitioners roll their eyes. It's like, wow, we we knew this, we knew this was a, a problem, and everybody knows this is a problem, but it seems to be still a, an issue for some of these companies. Um, but we've also seen where uh if you I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of initial access brokers, but there are on the, in the underground marketplace there are folks that that all they do is break into the big game networks they don't actually execute the ransomware they then sell that access to the ransomware operators so there's a little marketplace sort of burgeoning around that Specialist, oh my gosh yeah, gets yeah. You in the oh door. my gosh
0: so there're so there's yeah you're, they're specialized it's a cottage industry that's blowing mm-hmm. up I mean, I was trying to look at some numbers on it. I mean, it's, it's going to get in the trillion. And by 2025, I think it was like, there's some uh, analysts. This is like some serious money. And the thing is on that though, it's, they're doing it on crypto. They want it crypto. They don't want the standard currency where I see that there's a huge shift towards, you know, give us some coins uh, to pay off that ransom. Are you guys seeing that same thing? Or am I just reading sensationalist
2: articles? It's all, it's all crypto. And I mean, the, the, the main reason is because it's, uh, Difficult to do attribution, right? You can—it's anonymous and and difficult to attribute that to to an individual.
1: Well, it's difficult, but it's not impossible because I mean, a lot of the that new Silk Road movie came out, and I mean, granted, that was a long time in the coming, but. You know, the, the the interesting part for me is I, I actually watched the movie, it was, it was okay, you know, as as most movies about technology those go. Those are always but, hard
2: for us. Those are yeah. always hard for us cyber practitioners to watch those movies. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, no, I, yeah. Especially like Hackers or whatever it was, the one with like, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll just pretend those didn't happen. But the, the most interesting part is I was, they were doing a lot of press for it and they had one of the FBI lady uh, uh, women who was, who was running parts of the investigation. And she said they were, most likely or the biggest help to them in there because they had corrupt agents in the silk road case who were actively hiding their tracks but that the immutable bitcoin record you know the immutable ledger was how they actually got this guy because he wasn't you know his he didn't have the highest sanitation you know Mr. Dread Pirate Roberts of you know the IP addresses he was using he would always go to the San Francisco public library you know so they kept tracking you know all the bitcoins because of that IP address associated with his bitcoin ledger so it's like it's not quite as anonymous as folks think it is, but you know, it's also if you're doing a ransomware, you're not gonna, you know, you're there, you you can not send them the check, because yeah, you know, that's way my, too these, obvious.
2: most of these threat actors are are not in the San Francisco Public Library; they're in oh, Belarus. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In Russia,
1: in mm-hmm. Turkey. <laughs> oh, there's a few towns, yeah, in the in the old uh, Eastern blocks that are mm-hmm. they have the most most used Western Union like. Uh, you know, cash centers there right. you know, on, for some reason. I don't, I don't yeah, know, why. I don't know.
0: <laughs> So, okay. So, okay. So, knowing that a lot of these threat actors are internationally based more often than not. Um, so, I guess. Let, let, let's let's just zone in, if you will, about some of these like well-known uh, gangs, for example. So we had Carbon Spider and Sprite Spider. They have specific behavior patterns in which they kind of attack. Uh, one that I do want to talk about though, because it was most recent, literally last week, I think it was, or two weeks ago, was Kia got attacked by the Doppelpamer gang. And um, I guess, let me ask you guys this because The doppelganger gang, I don't think it's sophisticated in the attack in the context that they're doing some hardcore new innovative attack. I think it's more orchestrated. Is that what I'm reading right? Or what are you seeing from these types of attacks? Is it a question of, because companies have bad security policies and practices, they're just using the same basic stuff, but they're coordinating um, it better? Or is it? No, they're these guys are innovating, and and we're in trouble because these guys are creating a new way of breaking in.
2: Yeah, I won't, I won't say they're 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 not innovating, um, but they're I, I can say that they are not innovating on the attack vectors as much as they are on the crypto part. Um, so where they're actually locking the files. So, and I, I can't speak specifically to Doppelpaymer's Paymer's latest payloads, but but the. Um, you know, we're finding that the crypto is constantly changing, uh, the way that they manage those keys, the way that they exfiltrate data is, is changing. The way that they're getting in is basically the same, you know, short list of uh, security no-nos <laughs> uh, over and over again. Even, even on the largest companies, it's typically the same.
0: So tell me about well, the security no-nos.
1: Oh,
2: okay. Probably, oh,
1: sorry, Paul. No, no, I, I was Paul, just going to say this pro- is. You could
2: probably tell her, uh, you know, the, the no-nos because I think we I think they're pretty much universal.
1: <laughs> they usually, yeah, they usually make me sad. But no, I, I was just going to say a lot of the, you know, what they're calling innovation is, you know, it, it, it's a modern trend of you don't have to rewrite everything in the world now. You can use best-of-breed code samples like most companies do when you're writing a program. You don't start from scratch. You know, you, you borrow modules, objects, let's call them. You know from different parts of code and then you can you know cobble those all together and you can come up with something very sophisticated
2: well and into your to your original point paul i mean these guys are they're, they're lazy they're trying to get mm-hmm. as, as much as they can for as little work right
1: yeah yeah so why not you know why rewrite something when you can just copy it
0: and then on i guess to expand on that is then go after the Easiest point of failure, which is we're seeing a lot of uh, you know RDP attacks, VPN gateways, firewall administration. It seems like they're they they know that the edge tends to be less secure than the data centers or you know the you know the core, for example. So, right.
1: well, that's the ESX host hack, right? Where are these people who actually had you know ESX host servers open to the internet, you know, which you know, to pick on VMware a little bit, you know, they'll tell you that they have the most sophisticated software firewalls and this and that, but it's to me, if you're going to be on the front line of the internet, you want a belt and suspenders kind of a way where you want, like, let's have, let's, you know, let's put a Palo Alto, you know, firewall in front of it, or let's have some other type of uh, a different, you know, device, you know, preferably a hardware device or a software device just because it makes it that much more difficult you know, but when you're just hanging out there on the internet, I mean, the, the water plant attack is a good, you know, uh, example of, 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 you know, some very bad no-nos, shared passwords, open RDP to the internet, you know, and the oh, they're con- yep. they're controlling, they're controlling, uh, you know, how much poison gets put into the water to make the water drinkable. You know, yeah, I, I would say you probably want to have some more safeguards on that.
2: Yeah, so the ones that you mentioned, like the uh, stolen credentials, um, the the Shared. unsecured <laughs> remote access, uh, and then of course uh, the phishing campaigns are the, are 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 extremely effective, and they're super simplistic. Um, you know the, the payloads are not complicated, uh, and, there, and most like you said most um, network infrastructure should detect this, but a lot of companies just simply don't have it either implemented correctly or at all, uh, and that's that's where that's where it, it, it low hanging fruit for the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Well, if you think about that disconnect, oftentimes it's, yes, it's poor policies that's put in place. Say that 15 times fast. Uh, poor policies put in place. Um, but it's that disconnect between the security teams and leadership. Don't you think? Don't you think that there's, it's not, it's easy to, and this is what pissed me off about the solar attack when the CEO said, oh yeah, well this attack happened because we had a bad intern that didn't do what, didn't hit send or some crap like that. Uh, pardon my French. That upset me. Because, and I don't mind telling SolarWinds CEO this, don't be throwing your security team like under the bus like that. They
1: threw the intern under the bus. And and of all (laughs)
0: things, you're a multi-billion dollar business and you, you have this massive hack and you blame it on an intern. To me, it's like the worst thing you could possibly do from a security business perspective. But okay, I'm not their PR. So... Do you guys see though, that because of uh, the way big uh, game is getting much more high profile, it's much more sophisticated, they're really going after uh, these, you know, these companies. Um, do you see that there is a disconnect between leadership and putting the investment dollars to, to help mm-hmm. better protect their environment or you know, make do with what they have?
1: Well,
2: I, you know what I think? I think it's a lot of, um, it's not gonna happen to me. Uh, is is kind of the the syndrome that we have with a lot of the security leadership uh that and and you know most of these larger companies have a decent cyber insurance policy they they feel like uh that may be the safety net for them but that doesn't um that you know that doesn't save them from the impact of being down uh it also doesn't save them from the impact of the data exfiltration and their constituents and, cl- and clients data that gets that gets leaked as a result uh and the brand damage is basically hard to measure but it's bad, (laughs) especially if you're, you know, a well-known brand company and you're leaking your client's data. Um, so yeah, but I think mostly it is the first one. It is a lot of, a lot of the leadership think it's, oh, it's not going to happen to me. Uh, and that's, that's unfortunate.
1: Yeah. I I would agree with your point, Curtis, that it's, it's, but I would, I would say it's, to me, I've seen it as a prioritization, right? You know, there's, there's that joke about, you know, if, if you want an executive to, to work, you know, to get you fire insurance for your company, you burn down the company across the street, you know, right. so you scare them into buying fire insurance for his company. Right. You know, and unfortunately there's a lot of truth in that because, you know, they, they're like, oh, it won't happen to me. It's really low risk. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's not, it's not gonna happen to me, you know, the head in the sand attack. But I think that the statistics are up over what, 4,000 attacks a day.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and, and
1: that's even if, you know, who who even made that number? But you know, just in the directionally, that's frightening. I mean, that's that's a lot of attacks.
0: <laughs> so okay. On that note with leadership then. So I know this is gonna be up your bailiwick, Curtis, because I really want to hear about this. So to negotiate or not negotiate. So if you are an executive in an organization and you get attacked and they're asking for, Oh, you know, I'll pick on Kia. They ask for 404 Bitcoin or equivalent of $20 million. Right. Um, or I am a, um, the, 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 the water utility and um, you know, Maybe uh, I don't have the, that type of funds, but maybe I was attacked by either a teenager or a more sophisticated attack. What is your philosophy and how do you address that to pay or not to pay?
2: Well, you know, when we engage, it's, you know, we're engaging in, in a consultative manner, we're there to advise, um, but it's ultimately the business decision and, and this leadership of that business's decision when we're talking about the larger clients, the brand name clients, they, they usually bring quite a few people to the table, right? They've got you, you, typically the CIO, CISO, CFO, external counsel, internal counsel, somebody representing the IR firm that's, that's uh, you know, doing the cleanup. Um, and we always recommend that they bring in uh, law enforcement as well on the front end. Ultimately, that decision is, is really revolves around the, the impact. What can you afford, uh, you know, can you be down uh, or, <laughs> or, or is this a business ending event if you don't get it solved quickly, right? Um, and uh, also how, you know, how much data was exfiltrated and what is the impact of that data uh, being on the underground marketplace or being dumped? Um, so it, it just comes down to some subjective, uh, some subjective and some quantitative business decisions around what can you afford. Um, ultimately, we, we do recommend that you engage re- regardless of whether you're going to settle or not just to to test the water, to see where the threat actors are going to land. But it's up to the business.
0: So, okay. If you, if, okay, so you're a leader and you've, you've been attacked and you want to find out like who it is that's attacking you. So you had mentioned to me that there's a difference between these types of threat actors and how you negotiate with them. Can you explain to me who, what those two types of threat actors are?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna grossly generalize a little bit and say, let's say there's two main categories. One is the lone actor, or there might be more than one, but like a small number of, of actors that don't do this on a regular basis. Um, and sometimes those are using their own tool sets uh, and they're a little bit rudimentary. Other times they're using ransomware as a service where they're basically you know outsourcing the actual ransomware deployment and platform, which is a thing. And then the other the other category is the ransomware gangs or groups, uh, and those are the well known you know brands that we've heard you mentioned Doppel uh, R Evil, you know folks like that. Um, th- those those uh, you, you had said something earlier about the volume Paul of of the number of attacks. What's really driving the behavior of the groups is they have a pipeline. So when you're when you're when you're a victim, you're you're not the only fish in the net. They've Mm -hmm. got 30, 40, 50 other victims that they're currently negotiating with and that drives their behavior. They're more likely to burn a bridge on principle uh, if they have 39 other (laughs) bridges, right? That that they might be able to get paid from. So they're less patient, I guess is the best way to sum that up. Where the loan actors, uh, they typically got uh, some of their personal time and or money wrapped up in this. They've only got one fish on the lure typically. Uh, they're they're more likely to to, to negotiate um, and 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 stay at the table longer and be more patient to try to get a, uh, some payout or some outcome. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. No. It's. Uh... To me, it's like that understanding what the motivations are for these, uh, you know, threat actors. I think it does help in the negotiations, especially, again, if you are a victim of, uh, you know, your big company, for example, to understand to negotiate or not negotiate what you want to work with. But let me let me throw this out there because. Isn't there a trend though, that even if you pay, you still potentially aren't gonna get your data back anyway, either A, because they did it intentionally or because they screwed up somewhere. So what's the guarantee to actually feel like you're getting like to pay and get what you're supposed to get back? Like, is that-
1: There isn't one.
2: Yeah, there isn't one. Yeah, it, but but let, let me say we've done we've done lots and lots of these. And most of the time the, the threat actors honor the agreement. Um, there's some exceptions uh, where where they like for example we ask for a lot typically we'll ask not just for the decryptors and uh, you know we'll ask for basically the attack playbook how did you get in give us give us exactly how you got into the system um, but we'll also ask for like for example with the data exfiltration proof of data destruction sometimes that comes in video format or whatever so where we've had them deviate from the agreement is they'll give us the decryptors. Sometimes they'll give us the attack methods, but they won't give us the video of the, of the data destruction, things like that. But for the most part, especially the actor groups are trying to, they're, they're building a brand as well. And if if the word got out that they didn't honor these these uh, ransom payments, they w- nobody would make them, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, they typically do. It's weird. But I wanted to add one funny anecdote to this. And that is we've now noticed in the last couple that we've done, that the threat actors cause you use the word guarantee, the threat actors have started using uh, some legal language uh, as part of the so once we finish the negotiation, we've agreed on a price, they'll post they'll paste into the 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 chat some text that looks like it was taken from rocket lawyer or something basically saying, you know, whereas we have agreed you know, like capital letters, like you'd seen a legal document, uh, oh which to me, I think is 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 funny uh, because it's obviously not enforceable. So it's pointless.
0: <laughs> but 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 how funny is that? There be, it's like yeah. uh, the mafia back in the day, right? They actually started to become a legitimate business and they actually had to organize. They had to put like a process and procedures and that is hilarious to me, but it, again, if it's going to be a trillion dollar business, they have to brand. I mean, come on. Oh my gosh. Could you guys imagine when hacking organizations have to bring a marketing department in or something like just to like validate what they're asking for, to, val- to validate the value of, I don't know. It's crazy it's to me. I could see it happening.
1: It's the evolution yeah. of their business.
2: It, and they do run it much like a business. They do.
1: Yeah. They're going to get a Twitch account. They're going to get, you know, a tiktok. And <laughs> so they've got their own social
0: media. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure to torment everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, or, they've, they've
2: even, uh, some of the groups have even paid call call centers to, to call the victims. Um, so they've, you know, they've definitely built a, a whole program.
0: And okay. So, but these guys are like spread out throughout. It's not like one house sitting in like Kazakhstan somewhere, right? These guys are all over the place, right? Or is there an assumption that they're typically in a region?
2: It, it depends on the group. Um, it, most of them are are centralized. Uh, it, as far as we can tell, most of them are centralized, although they are some of them are quite large as far as who you're dealing with. So, you know, you're not dealing with the decision maker a lot of times when you first start talking to them. You're dealing with uh, sort of a a, a junior a, a junior analyst on the threat actor side, if you will. And then you'll push them to a certain point and they will literally say, I don't have approval to go uh, beyond this amount. I need to go talk to my manager. It's so, like you're buying a used car or something. Uh, and so they, they they have a whole operation around, you know, how much this person can discount before they have to go get approval
0: and and all of this stuff. Oh, my gosh, that is the craziest. you know that's the end of the thing that we don't really talk about because we typically uh, discuss, like, try to avoid it from happening. And so I don't think about, and I don't know, Paul, have we ever discussed about like after it happened, like we probably should do another episode where you just literally walk us through an example of what you've done. Cause that's crazy. You must have so many amazing stories.
2: Well, yes and no. I mean, the, the, the upside, uh, is that for the, the ransomware groups or, or gangs, they Basically, use a playbook. So a lot of times we can go in; it's, it's almost scripted. And so we can go in and we can say, "Oh, it's doppelpaymer." Well, they're going to ask for this, and you're going to settle about here. It's going to take two business days, you know. So because we've done it so many times, we know exactly what the playbook is. Um, but for the loan actors, it's always a bit of an adventure.
1: So is it? Well, well, yeah, that goes back to the to the example I was using before uh, about the Somali pirates and the actual shipper, you know, shipping container ships and whatnot you know, they, they, the, the can, you know, the, the shipping companies actually had a spreadsheet. They knew exactly how much, you know, cargo was on there. They knew what the burn rate was. They knew how much was, how much that would cost. And then they would say, you know, like they, they would always get the request in like, we want $50 million. And they're like, look, the boat doesn't cost $50 million. You're not getting $50 million. And then they, they, they were like, look, this is, you know, we, we ran the spreadsheet. If you leave the gas in the boat, we'll give you this much money dropped off, you know, by a helicopter in big duffel bags.
0: Okay, so I'm totally gonna digress. I'm gonna tangent here on real just one little question. Has it gone to the point where you guys are on like on a first name basis with each other? Like if you recognize, like let's say you're talking to Doppelpamer gang and you're like, Oh, hey Mary. Hey, Bob. <laughs> yeah. How <laughs> how are the kids? Like, has it gone to that point yet or no?
2: Well, so we don't typically tell the threat actors who we are. We, we do like to represent ourselves as a third party representing the victim because that does send a message that the victim is uh, sending professional negotiators who have done this before. And sometimes that cuts through a lot of the BS uh, that, that, that you'll get. Um, and yes, I do think that we have interacted with the exact same people multiple times, but they don't know who we are uh, typically.
0: Now, is it over phone or is it text? I'm assuming not video, obviously. Uh, It's almost
2: entirely done on a dark web site with a built-in chat function. Most of them have moved to that format. We have done a a number of them over like encrypted email uh, and anonymous email addresses, but but uh, now it's almost entirely done on a dark on a dot onion site
0: with a built-in chat feature. So, how do you know you're talking to the same person, though, Or, or or is it their turn of phrase or? So we we're, we're, we pay very close attention to
2: keep in mind that for most of these folks English is not the first language, and so we we do a lot of profiling based on uh, the the words they use, how they use those words, the phrases. So you can you start to see patterns, and we also use that in the middle of the negotiation to determine whether we're whether we've been escalated. Like okay, they they brought in the closer, right? So because the language changed, the English got better, they um, that sort of thing. So we we're we're pretty tuned into that part of it.
0: Oh my gosh, that is, sounds like so much. It sounds like to me though, uh, at some component, you could actually start uh, leveraging some data analysis with AI to recognize that change too and shift. So it's not just a human checking it out is my guess. Yeah,
2: yeah. We keep copies of all of this. Uh, and one to teach, we have other negotiators. I'm the, I'm the lead negotiator. We have other negotiators on the team uh, and we teach uh, people, you know, like we, we black it out and say, okay, now what do you say? <laughs> right. Why, why would you say that? Like, and, and walk through it. So we use it for teaching as well, but we, yeah, we keep copies of, of all of it.
0: My goodness. What a great, what, what a great like capitalism because now you're teaching it. Now it's going to be like a, I just can hear it now. Welcome to our masterclass.
2: <laughs> well, you, you say uh, capitalism, but we actually don't, um, we ended up doing this sort of on accident. Our, our, our core business is not this, but we ended up doing this sort of on accident, uh, and it, it, uh, the law firms and the cyber insurance companies that were involved are happy with the results, so they keep bringing them to us. Um, what we what we decided to do is that we wouldn't make it a profit center for the business uh, because we don't like profiting from victims. So we do a we do an hourly rate with a not to exceed uh, amount uh, for for companies. I've done a qu- quite a few pro bono ones for smaller businesses that I know cannot even afford that. Um, and it's 100% transparent. So there's nothing, there's no negotiation that occurs without the customer approving every single message. Um, and that is a double edged sword for us because we, we will recommend something and often the client wants to audit it or change it. Um, and that does sometimes material cha- materially change the outcome. Uh, but it's 100% transparent. There's, because what we there are companies, uh, and I, this is actually a good warning to the listeners. If you get hit by ransomware and you Google "help me with ransomware," the first few results, those are not the people you want to call. <laughs> the first few results are paid ads by by uh, people who who actually profit from the victims. What they do is they'll claim that they can decrypt your files. They'll then go negotiate with the bad guys, get a price. They'll mark up that price to you. Um, claiming that they're doing the decryption, but they're actual getting the decryptors from the bad guys. And so we've witnessed these companies a few times as well. So that's the whole point of the transparency is there's no room for us to commit any fraud and we're not trying to profiteer from people who are in a bad position.
0: So I mean th- these negotiations it's unfortunate that you have to exist and you have to be part of it. but thank you, and we appreciate you for that. but <laughs> Okay, so you're in a situation where um and I've heard this term before command and control. Like, how do you even get to the point where you're getting attacked and like we don't want to even get to the negotiation point? So, Paul, help me understand how do we stop this before you know that the spread happens or stop them from entering? Like, is there anything we can do to stop this?
1: Well, I mean, shout out to our sponsor. You know, if you're a small company and you get the uh ransomware kill switch from air gap networks (laughs) that can help you out you know that's a very good small small company solution but you know to curtis's point these are all fundamentals you know as long as you're doing the fundamentals um because once once the attack is done there you know yes it sounds like these companies are doing lots of marketing now because they want a brand you know so it'll facilitate them you know having less of a process to get money from you but it's also once they have your data you know it's you're you're at their mercy so you, you kind of have to, ha- you have to do everything very well to not be hacked.
2: Well, and, and actually, can I, add, can I add to that? Absolutely. Most of these larger companies, the big game, if you will, um, have incident response plans, which are great and necessary, and everybody should have those. Uh, but they those plans don't spell out specifics toward, typically don't spell out specifics toward ransomware, which is a different response than a traditional ir it, it is encompassed by the mm-hmm. ir response but it's a piece that has its own specific things uh, related to it and so that's another thing to encourage is like look you can be you can check all the boxes uh you know cross cross uh your t's dot your i's and still get hit and you should uh, you know have a plan in place that addresses ransomware specifically when you do
1: Oh yeah, and it, and uh, I would almost argue that it's more of a disaster recovery type yeah. of a discussion than it is, you know, how do we become absolutely unhackable? Because that just well, right that's...
2: the the IR the IR plans already address the malware analysis and yeah. containment and all of that, um, but they don't address what you just said, Paul, which is the the DR impact of, of the attack.
1: Yeah, because I I forget which company it was. I think it was one of the hospitals that got attacked, and you know they were ransomed, but they actually had proper backups. So they said, no, we're not going to pay. We're just going to wipe every computer. And yeah, that's a lot of work and a lot of pain, but we have backups. We're just going to restore. And thank you very much.
2: The only downside is, is the standard operating procedure of the threat actors, which is to also exfiltrate a significant amount of data prior to doing the locking of the files. And so you still have the extortion component yep. where they're saying, hey, we've stolen all of this health information. Um,
1: Correct.
2: Now you, now you got to do a HIPAA uh, you know, report if the
1: violent incident. Yeah. And then CMS is going to come after you, but you know, it's,
0: Hey, didn't we talk about that in the double extortion episode? Probably. <laughs> Pretty sure we did, my friend. Okay. So, I mean, so my perspective is as a non technical person and as a salesperson, uh, I am your end user from hell. I will double click everything. And if, if it looks legit, like, uh, and this will be an upcoming episode, like with deep fakes getting far more sophisticated where you're emulating voices and obviously the f- visual aspect of it. Can we just simply assume you have to all these big game hunted have to? have some semblance of a zero trust policy in uh, in addition to, um, is that something that is, is um, is that something that is already enacted and that's part of process already? Or is it still a new concept that, again, leadership has to buy into or teams have to buy into?
1: After SolarWinds, it's been getting, I mean, it seems to me that the, the term zero trust is almost being overly abused, but I mean, it's it's a fancy way of saying that, you know, you can't just have perimeter security anymore. Everything has to be secure. You can't, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there used to be a lot of assumptions like, oh, I have this really insecure application, but it's in the data center behind a firewall. So every, you know, that's, that's fine. And now, you know, you can hire one of the brokers like Curtis was saying, just to get you in, and then it's no longer secure.
2: Yeah, you and know, I think we've been operating, you know, as a as a security community with the least privileged sort of design for some time as part of our, our security strategy. Uh, zero trust, like you said, is, is a bit of a, a buzzword, but the technology behind the zero trust uh, uh, tech stacks, you know, we're replacing standard, you know, network access VPNs, for example, uh, would be a tremendous step in the right direction, <laughs> uh, you know, actually implementing that tech stack. Yep.
0: Okay, so guys, we're wrapping up on time here and I really appreciate you. If you were to think of one thing that you'd recommend or want to part with uh, when it comes to the vulnerabilities that you know we're going after big money, big game, what would be your recommendation to an enterprise? Let's say if I was a multi-billion dollar corporation. Uh, let's go with Curtis
2: first, please. Okay, sure. Uh, well, I can't do just one. I, I want to highlight the things that we talked about, I think, on, 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 the, on the show. And that is, one, the best practices. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, we all know what they are. Multi-factor authentication, uh, monitor for, for credential loss, things like that. Password policy, secure remote access, uh, you know, just the basics. That, that'll, that'll reduce your risk a tremendous amount right there. The other, the other thing is have a plan. Uh, So we talked about the IR plan. Have a ransomware plan that's part of your IR plan. And the third thing I want to say is if you get hit, um, you know, uh, this will be illustrated in your plan. Googling help me with ransomware is not the best approach. Go to your external counsel or your cyber insurance company and ask for someone uh, from them. They will have an approved group of vendors uh, that will help you with the response.
0: Oh, wow. That's really helpful. I didn't even think about that. Man, alive. Okay. Yeah. Chris, you and I need to chat some more because that's some, wow. Don't yeah.
1: <laughs> and if I, I, I'll just, for brevity, I'll just have one. Prioritize your security because just because you haven't been hit before, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get hit.
2: Yeah. Yours trumps mine, Paul. That was a better one.
0: Oh, no, no. You gave <laughs> I, actionable I items. I the option of
1: waiting. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: So, gentlemen, uh, I really appreciate your time, Curtis. For those that would like to learn more from you, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, just
2: GroupSense.io uh, is our domain, and you, there's a ransomware uh, guide online there, and there's also a, a phone number you can call if it's an emergency uh, that'll that'll ring our, our response team.
0: Awesome. And on that note, you guys, I think that wraps it up for another Ransomware Battleground. Thank you for your time.
1: Thank you. Sir. Thank you, Cia, and Curtis.